If you have your uh, Bibles, turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 8. I was going to go all the way to Nehemiah uh, 13 and, and finish it off this week, uh, but as I got into this, I thought this was a better conclusion for the Nehemiah story for us today. Um, and so if you want to turn uh, to Nehemiah chapter 8, and let's stand as we read God's Word today. Let's stand together. And this practice starts in this passage. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden pallet that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Anaiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Masaiah on his right hand. And Pedaiah and Mishael and Melchijah, Hashum, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord with the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatiah, Hodiah, Masaiah, Kelita, Azariah, Josabad, Hannah, Peliah, the Levites, helped the people understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book of the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and the scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet wine, send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength." So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. On the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in the courts and in the courts of the house of God, and in the square at the water gate and the square of the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from captivity made booths and lived in the booths, 
For from the days of Jeshua, son of Nun, to the day the people of Israel had not done so, and there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. This is the word of the Lord. Have a seat. Feasting on the word of the Lord. Making scripture central. I love this chapter because, you know, I'm kind of the Ezra-ish type of guy. (laughs) I'm not necessarily the build the wall type of guy, but I'm definitely the Ezra type of guy who loves to teach and read the word of God. The word of the Lord is the focus of the attention in this passage. How many times do we hear that they they wanted Ezra to bring the book of the law out, to read it to them? And, and, And notice in this first section, the first four verses, who is taking the initiative in all of this? Wow, that was... I wonder where that came from. Anyway, um... Notice who's taking initiative in all of this. It's the people. The people requested it, verse 1. All the people gathered as one man, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses and read it to them. And so it's the people's request. And look at how they received it. They heard as he read, facing the square before the water gate. Now this is interesting too, the water gate. This isn't like the water gate Nixon thing. This is a different Watergate. Um, it's not a scandal. It's, it's a very public place. This isn't the, the, the word of God being read in the temple where only the men could come into the one section and then the, the, the women could be in an outer section and then further out, uh, the, you know, people that just kind of lived in the area could come. Uh, those those uh, divisions. The Watergate was a place where everybody could come all at once and hear the word of the Lord. No divisions. He read it in this one place. It was accessible to all. Verse 3, and he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning to midday. I mean, we stood for one chapter. How many were like, oh, can we sit down yet? Uh, Early morning, like daybreak until noon. And the people stood the whole time to hear the word of God. How do we prepare to experience God's word? To to experience it, to hear it. Remember, none of these people would have had a scroll at home. They wouldn't have had a Bible. The printing press doesn't come out until like the 15th century, right? A.D. The only way they could experience the word of God was to hear it read in public assembly. This is one of the key contexts of Scripture. I think we often forget the auditory, hearing the word of the Lord. In the presence of the men, the women, and those who could understand, in the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And and they prepared for it. So it, it, it almost reads as if this was something spontaneous that just happened. One day they said, hey, Ezra, why don't you grab your Bible? Let's go to the park and read together. 
it wasn't that. Like, they had already built the platform so he could be elevated. They already had picked a spot. All of this was planned out. They knew that they needed to get back to the Word of God, and so they made preparation to experience the Word of God together in a very public place at this water gate. The Word of the Lord was a focus of their attention. It was their request. They were open and they were receptive to hearing it, and they made preparation to experience the Word of God proclaimed. How do you, you and I prepare to experience hearing the words of God. Second look at the look at the response to the word of God as we move through this passage. They stood up and they all answered amen amen and they lifted their hands and they bowed with their faces to the ground in worship. Look at this visceral, physical response. I mean, often we just kind of go, that was nice. But it was a whole body response to God communicating to them. We, we believe this is God's communication to us. That, that this, what we read, Every time we open this book is the voice of the creator who created everything you see around us with the power of his voice. And this is his word to us. Why don't we fall on our faces more? Why don't we stand in awe and reverence with hands held high? Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It cuts, dividing between joint and marrow, soul and spirit. It pierces the thoughts and the attitudes of our hearts. If the word of God does not move us, are we listening? Look at what happens. They rise in reverence. They bow in worship. They weep. They weep. They've, they're hearing it. They're understanding it. It's, it's been clarified. They read verse 8. They read from the book of the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense. Now, differences of opinion here as to what this means, but, but I think what it means is that they, they've been so long without the word of God that they didn't really understand what was going on. And many commentators will say, you know, in, in Babylon, they, they would have maybe lost the, the, the uh, language a bit of the, of the Bible. They're Hebrew. They had taken on maybe some more Aramaic, and, and they weren't understanding. It was like, you know, it's a new language. And so these, the, the Levites had to read it they had to clarify it. They had to maybe paraphrase it on the fly as they went from group to group, as we see this kind of playing out, and translating it into a language that people could understand. Now, that's why Bible translation is so important, and it's a living, and it's, it's, it's not a once-and-done deal. It's an ongoing thing because language changes. You know, English definitions have changed in the last 100 years. We have words that didn't exist 100 years ago. And, and we learn more about the language of the Bible. 
as different discoveries, Dead Sea Scrolls, different documents come out and, and we learn more. We need people to teach. We need people who will study. We need people who will make it clear in a language we can all understand. Translation and application was needed, verse 8. They rose in reverence. They bowed in worship. They wept, but they didn't stay in the weeping stage. Look at this. This is great. They were weeping. They were cut to the heart because of what they were hearing. This is the very word of God to us. But then Nehemiah and Ezra and the, and the Levites and the scribes say, hey, hey, like this is a great thing. We get to experience the word of God. Yes, it's hard to hear some of this stuff that you've maybe never heard before, you've never encountered before. And, and, and yes, uh, turn your hearts to God in weeping repentance, but this is a day for joy because God is speaking to us. All the people wept as they heard the words of the Lord. Then they said to him, go your way, eat the fat. You're like, eat the fat, <laughs> get out the bacon. Like, well, maybe not for the Jewish people. That wouldn't work so well. But like, get the banquet on. Have the, have, like, blow the budget on, on a feast right here the best food, the best wine, and, and send portions to those who don't have any or, or who weren't prepared for this day or, or who are just, you know, they've come in from out of town and they just don't have the means right now, so get, give them food. This is, part of, this is part of celebrating together. We look after one another. We provide for one another. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Look at that phrase very carefully. The joy of the Lord. Not your joy in the Lord, but the joy of the Lord. God's joy in you strengthens you. God takes great joy in us. God takes great joy when his people hear his word, when they respond in worship and wonder and reverence and repentance and joy. Does this not strengthen you that God takes joy in us? See, we're part of a bigger story. It's, if, if all we read is how bad we are and we don't read how gracious and wonderful and loving and forgiving God is and what he has done for us in Jesus Christ, if we don't move to the joy, we miss God's message. You know, a lot of, a lot of times, and, you know, after 25 years of ministry, I can say this with some authority. A lot of people in churches really, really say, man, that was a great message. When it was a dark and brooding and accusatory, beat you up kind of message. Eh, well, you know, that was all just kind of like making me a feel good kind of message, kind of fluffy. It's both. 
because we have to face the reality that they're, the word of God cuts us deeply and it challenges our lives and our attitudes and our hearts, but it frees us at the same time to worship our God, the one who created us with joy because he has set us free. And this is what the Feast of Tabernacles is all about. We get down to here, this, this Feast of Booze, the seventh month, they find written in the word of God that they're supposed to live in tents for like seven days. And, and it says here that they hadn't done this since the time of Joshua, son of Nun, but they actually had, you can find this in like Kings and Joshua and, and throughout the, the Old Testament where there were these times when they celebrated it, but it was often not tied so closely as in this passage with the Exodus. It was tied more to just, you know, a normal fall festival. And it kind of became a very generic thing. But what they do here is that they go back and they say, hey, all of those who were assembled, all those who returned from captivity, very specific word here. And this is a reflection of all those who have come back through God's redemptive path of bringing them to himself. This is the Exodus reimagined. And this was a reminder, the Feast of Booze was to be a reminder that God had freed them from Egypt, led them in the wilderness for 40 years, and brought them to the promised land. This seventh day feast was to remember that God had worked miracles to save them and bring them to himself. That's what this Feast of Booze is all about. And so this was part of how they were to rejoice in God's saving work in their lives. So they focus their attention on God's word. They respond to God's word. It's translated. It's applied to their current situation. They rise in reverence. They bow in worship. They weep in repentance. And then they go into rejoicing and feasting and celebrating together for seven days. But how does that happen? Look at verse 13. On the second day, so this is the next day after, you know, day one where they stood for a whole morning hearing the word of God and, and then the Levites went around and explained it and did community groups with everybody. On the second day, the heads of the father's houses of all the people and all the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. Leaders need to study the word. Leaders need to lead out of scripture-saturated lives. If you're going to be a leader, then this is your bread and butter. <laughs> this is where you need to feast. It's, it's not everybody that came to study. It's not everybody that came, you know, to do like, you know, the seminary under Ezra. It was the heads of the fathers, houses of all the people, the priests, the Levites. They came together to Ezra to describe in order to study the words of the law. So leaders, you need to be immersed in Scripture. Leadership is, those, is for those who hunger and thirst for the Word of God. One day didn't satisfy them. They needed more. And then they found what was written, and they walked in obedience, and they led their community to follow the Word of God. They came, they studied, they found it written, 
and they published it and proclaimed it and they did it. Hearing the word isn't enough. Living it out has to follow. They didn't just go, hey, that's a great idea. We should do that sometime. They went, okay, now we got to go out into the bush. We got to get the trees. We got to bring them back to Jerusalem. We got to build these tents, even on the roof of my own house. And I'm going to, I'm going to have a staycation right here, camping in the backyard. Like Corbin's been really wanting to sleep on the trampoline every night. So last night he was out there again, sleeping on the trampoline. I want to look at the stars, except he falls asleep before the stars come out, which is fine with me because it kind of gets cold. I don't move so well after a night on the trampoline. But this is what they're doing. They're, 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 they're tenting right in the city. They're, they're, they're living in tent communities. They're feasting together. They're hearing the word of God together every day. Like, look at this. It's not just we went camping and had a fun week together. All And day by day, from the first day to the last, he read from the book of the law. This was like, you know, uh, now a lot of schools are doing like, you know, you, you do some pre-work and then you go to school for like one week and it's intensive. This is kind of what it is. You, you get like, you get an immersion program in the Bible, one week reading the Word of God together. I wonder how much we could read through if we just took one whole week. We came up here, we camped, and every morning I got up here and we just kind of started in Genesis and started reading. And then we had lunch and we'd come back and read some more and had dinner and come back and read some more and go to sleep and do it for seven days straight. Would we not be ready for a day dedicated to God at the end of that week? They did this for seven days and then on the eighth day they held a solemn assembly, this covenant day. Uh, Leviticus 23, 36 is where this comes from. Seven days of experiencing God and his word. The word of the Lord was the focus of their attention. The people request it. The people prepare for it. They respond to the word of God. They rise in reverence. They bow in worship. They weep at, at, at the re- realization that this is they, they, they need to get their line, lives in line with it, but they are called to rejoice in the bigger story of God's grace and redemption and his salvation for them. They return to the word of the Lord and their leadership hungers for God's word and studies it and leads the community in obedience to it. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Luke 24, 27, Jesus is on the road to Emmaus. And two disciples are downcast. They, they think Jesus was a, a failure, the Messiah. He wasn't the Messiah. And Jesus starts with the law and the prophets and all the Jewish writings and explains to them that the Messiah had to suffer and die and rise again. How do we prepare to experience the word of God 
How do we celebrate the experience of the word of God? And how deeply do we pursue the word of God and adjust our lives to his word, especially the word made flesh? John chapter 5, Jesus is talking to the religious leaders and he says to them, you search the scriptures because by them you think you have life, but you don't realize that these point to me and you have to come to me to get life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, the Word made flesh. How do we prepare to experience the Word of God? How do we celebrate the experience of the Word of God? How deeply do we pursue the Word of God and adjust our lives to Him, not it, Him? In the gospel, we find the full revelation of God the Father in Jesus Christ. The Word of God made flesh. How do we move in this? How do we live in this? What's, 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 what do we do? The Feast of Tabernacles was a celebration of God taking them from Egypt to the promised land and that 40-year journey of living in tents and wandering in the wilderness to remember that they were on a journey but not yet in the promised land. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1-10, to 10, we live in this tent, this body right now, and we aren't what we will be. But when we see him, we will be changed 1 John, 1 Peter 2, 11 to 12, that you are aliens and strangers here on this world. Live your lives so people see that God has worked in your life and give glory to him. You see, the Feast of Tabernacles was a celebration to remind them that they had been freed from exile and they were moving toward the promised land. And that's all of us now who have come to Jesus Christ. You are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. I have taken out the heart of stone and given them a heart of flesh so that they will obey my word. I will put my word in their hearts. I will give them my spirit And we are on a journey now through this life, in this tent, waiting for that promised land to come. The Word of God needs to be the focus of our attention. We need to seek it out. The people requested it, 8-1. The people received it. They heard eagerly as Ezra read the word. They prepared for it. They responded. They stood and raised their hands in reverence. They bowed in worship. They wept at the message. They rejoiced and feasted 
as they realized that they were part of a bigger story of God's grace and redemption and salvation. And that needed to be emphasized over human failure. It's not our failure to follow the word of God that, that we need to focus on sometimes. It is the fact that God's faithful when we are faithless, that he is a God of grace and redemption and salvation for the most broken. There's a bigger story. God created and he will recreate. The promised land is yet to come. So let us return to the word of God and hunger for it and seek it out and prepare to experience it, to raise our hands in reverence and to bow in worship, to weep in repentance and to rejoice in the freedom that he gives us. Knowing that the word has become flesh and has dwelt among us and that he is the one we need to align our lives with. How do you prepare to experience God's word? Seek it out. Be ready to hear. Celebrate the experience of God's word. The joy that it is to know he has spoken to us. That he has revealed his will and his ways and himself. And then just feast on that. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have spoken. That even as Philip came to you and said, well, you know, if you just show us the Father, that'd be enough. But you said to him, how long have I been with you, Philip? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Lord, help us to celebrate in your your rescue of your people. Help us to bring ourselves before your word on a regular daily basis to study, to hear, to understand, and then to obey. Father, help us to engage your word every day. Hear it, be moved by it, and then to live it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.